and welcome to GradCast, the official radio show and podcast of the Society of Graduate Students at Western University. I'm your host, Rose, and this is my co-host, Laura. And here, we're here today with Emmanuel Wong. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah, no worries. All right, well, why don't we get started? Uh, would you like to start off by telling us a little bit about the research that you're doing? Sure. So I guess, uh, first of all, I'm a first year's master's student in the pathology department studying under uh, Dr. Art Poon. And what my research involves is uh, trying to get a better understanding about the latent reservoir. So it's this part of HIV that allows it to stick around for a long time. Um, with HIV infections, typically we understand it to be an infection for life. And one of the big reasons for this is this uh, latent reservoir. It basically allows the HIV to hide in an individual's body and not just hide from our own immune system, but also uh, hide itself from the different drug therapies that we try to treat it in these patients. So even though this is like a super important uh, area of research, it's not really well understood for a whole bunch of reasons. Like it's really expensive to do. And it's also like really invasive to try to study this in person or like in a person. So the best way to, um, or at least we think the best way to study it is to simulate uh, what happens when HIV gets into an individual and uh, basically run a whole bunch of simulations and see what we can figure out about this latent reservoir. And hopefully that leads to some uh, discovery we can use in our fight against HIV. So Emmanuel, uh, I guess the first thing we will want to know is what do you mean when you say that uh, HIV hides? Sure. So. Uh, part of the HIV life cycle, because it's a virus, it requires a host to reproduce, right? Um, viruses can't reproduce by itself because they're not technically living. They're kind of in the space between living and um, dead. So part of the HIV life cycle is it injects itself into a person's DNA. So throughout the body, there are particular class of cells that are susceptible to HIV. And what HIV does is it gets into these cells uh, integrates itself, so inserts itself into an individual's genome. And once it's inserted in these cells, um, the, the body can't recognize uh, that DNA because the virus isn't really producing itself. It's just um, the blueprints for the viruses are hidden inside, inside these cells. Because it's hidden, the immune system can't find the HIV and so can't clear it out of your body. And the DNA that is hidden for HIV can last for like 20 or 30 years. So it's, it's a very long-term problem. That's really fascinating. Um, I don't know much about um, kind of uh, treatments and stuff for HIV. I was just wondering if maybe you could elaborate on that a little bit um, before getting into your kind of specific area of research. Sure. So typically uh, these days we have um, this thing called ART or antiretroviral therapy. And what it is, it's basically a combination of different drugs so that HIV can't mutate itself um, so that it doesn't get recognized by these drugs or it doesn't get treated by these drugs. So there's multiple drugs involved in this cocktail. And what it does is it blocks different parts of the HIV life cycle from it getting into cells to it um, getting integrated into your DNA to it infecting other cells. So by blocking multiple steps in an HIV's life cycle, you can basically halt it from um, reinfecting a person or being able to transmit to another person. Um, but unfortunately, these drugs don't block or don't clear the HIV that's integrated itself into our genome. So this is like the hidden latent reservoir. 
So is this true for every virus or just like some kind of virus? Like, should we worry about SARS-CoV-2 integrating into our cells or we're fine? <laughs> no, uh, so for COVID, it, we're fine. So it's a particular type of virus. It's a retrovirus. So these viruses start as RNA, uh, gets turned into DNA, and the DNA gets into our genetic um, blueprints, like our own natural like, body's blueprints. And that's the problematic um, state. So I guess then getting into your research a little bit, how exactly are you, um, I guess this is a two-part question. How are you coming up with kind of the models that you're doing? And then also how exactly are you using those to test and see how kind of HIV behaves in the body? Sure. So uh, what we're trying to do is to basically mimic what happens in the, in the real body. So uh, HIV can get itself into this latent reservoir by a couple means. Like this is one of the things that we're not quite sure about yet. So like does the HIV immediately go out, find these cells that last like a long, long time, infect them? And is that how it sticks around for a long time? Or is it uh, infecting a different type of cell that can then become these long-lived memory cells. So that's something that we need to figure out. And so what I did is within the simulation program, I've defined a whole bunch of uh, compartments or like buckets, we can call them buckets, of that kind of mimic what occurs in real life. So in real life, there is this um, active compartment. So that's one bucket. And it's these cells that can uh, produce HIV. And then we have another bucket of these memory cells or um, latent cells. So this is the latent reservoir. And when HIV gets into those cells, they last a long time, but they don't produce uh, HIV. Uh, uh, besides that, there's also like a couple other buckets for different types of cells that are involved in the model. And what I'm doing is I'm just, if we think of these parameters being on like a slider, I'm sliding these parameters back and forth and trying to test out every single interaction at every single type of like levels, so like different magnitudes for these, each of these parameters and trying to see how that affects the simulation and what's going on there. So to test my hypothesis on the latent reservoir and that is the structure of it in the end is affected by those parameters that I've set out in the beginning. Uh, basically what I do is um, generate a whole bunch of simulations, uh, drawing from each parameters, going like zero to 100, trying each one of those um, possible values and then seeing what happens. So just to have it more clear, you have a, so you have a simulation and you are trying to simulate how the virus, uh, how the latent reservoir um, behaves in a human population, in, in a population of human cells, right? Yeah, exactly. So, okay, so how do you decide what's going to happen with those cells? How do you bring those parameters into, to make a, to, for them to have biological meaning? Right, okay, so basically, um, if we go back to the, the, the thing I was talking to, or talking about before, like these buckets, right? So each of these buckets would contain uh, a whole bunch of cells, for example, each of which has some probability of being infected by the simulated virus that I've thrown into the bucket. And each of the movements I can stick a parameter on, and then I can vary that parameter to test uh, the different hypotheses on like how this latent reservoir forms and how the interactions 
are really affecting what the end result is. So which will be one hypothesis that you will model with your, with, with your simulation? So one of, yeah, one of the ideas that I'm trying to test with this is the theory of clonality. And that's basically that this latent reservoir, all the viruses in this latent reservoir are like very close in identity to each other. So they're identical, hence like clonality. And um, how I'm going to test that is based on the parameters that I set in my model, if I see more of these individual viruses in the latent reservoir being identical to each other in like genetic sequence, well, then I can say that they're more likely to be clonal. And then that would prove the hypothesis that um, HIV established its, itself by basically cloning itself. Um, are there any other hypotheses that you're testing as well? Or is this kind of the, the primary one that you're testing? No, so yeah, there is another hypothesis and it's like basically the opposite of clonality. Mm -hmm. So instead of HIV getting itself into cells that uh, duplicate really quickly and then producing those clones. Instead, the idea is HIV goes out and infects a whole bunch of different cells. So that means every virus in a cell not only would be a little bit different because HIV mutates really quickly, the place that it inserts itself into the, the genome can also be different as well. So when we're looking at these sequences at the end of this simulation, well, we want to test not just if these sequences are identical, but are the positions that the sequences, so like the HIV sequence is within the, the genome that I've simulated, is that identical as well? Because that will um, give us an indication of whether or not the end result is clonal or if it's just the uh, secondary theory, the normal like, uh, infection and proliferation um, theory. So how will this model inform like maybe uh, the usage of drug of of drugs for HIV, or how will you uh, imagine these models being used to import sure. like public yeah. health re responses or something like that? Right. So I guess like the main thing that we're trying to test with this is how the intervention of these um, HIV drugs would affect the how identical the sequences are. So like what the genetic structure of the population looks like. So if we introduce um, these drugs earlier and basically stop the uh, rate of infection, what happens then? Like, will this latent reservoir be more susceptible to die by itself? Or would uh, we expect the latent reservoir to continue to become more diverse and then possibly um, mutate into a virus that can escape these drugs? So I guess like that's one of the main things that I wanted to see with this uh, research project is, um, what exactly is happening in this latent reservoir. And um, I guess like anything that we learn about this latent reservoir will help in the long run, because like I said, it's one of the biggest barriers in creating a cure for HIV. And it's really, really hard to study in a person. So any type of program that can let researchers like other researchers um, test these theories uh, would be very helpful, I think. Mm -hmm. Has any sort of programming or software like this been used before for studying HIV or is this all new? <laughs> that's, a, that's a good question, yeah. Um, there has been another lab out on the West Coast that did something mm -hmm. similar, but they kind of used a different um, simulation program. Uh, the type of simulation program that I'm using is this um, host pathogen simulation program. So basically, of simulates um, a virus enters 
uh, a population. And given that we, there's some probability of it infecting another person, uh, let's observe what happens to the virus over the, the course of say um, two years, three years, whatever you decide to give it as a parameter. Uh, to my understanding, the lab on the West Coast, what they did was they used a different type of model that basically generated these, um, these, these sequences without actually generating like the transmission history behind them. So in this way, like I have like an extra bit of data that I can plug into the model that I would create in the end with this simulation program. So I'm wondering now, like all that you're doing is simulating uh, the sequences. Mm -hmm. So now yeah, in order for us to know how those, like if that's actually match reality, Mm. Are you going to take some samples from actual people? Are you going to, I'm sorry about yeah. this. It's just like something that everyone asks. <laughs> like, I have to sure. ask. <laughs> yeah. No, but no, that's a really good question. And the answer is, yeah. So uh, one of my lab mates, uh, also Laura's one of my lab mates, um, <laughs> Rocio, Dr. Rocio Ferraria. Um, she has a collaboration with a lab down in the States and they have like pretty good data for this type of uh, simulation. They have a longitudinal, so taken a couple months apart for like two or three years, longitudinal data for this latent reservoir for different individuals. But there's a whole bunch of like messiness that goes into like why that data isn't as great as simulated data, because there's a difference between knowing the true value and um, getting, an, getting an observation of uh, some value. So what we're gonna to try to do is take this model and match it against the real life data and see if the two match. So if this model is any good at simulating real world data and beyond that, um, we're gonna to try to use this uh, simulation model to try to tease out some real world parameters from um, her data. Because right now, like because these parameters are so interrelated to each other. We don't know which ones are actually important. So like how virulent is a virus? Is that important to the latent reservoir? Well, right now we don't know because all we can do is observe the latent reservoir. We don't have like the true values of these parameters behind that. We can't really measure how virulent this virus is um, at that length of time and that like, at that length of time. So using this model will definitely give us a little bit more data and like give us a way better understanding of uh, the latent reservoir. Can you give me another example of a parameter that go into your model? Because the virulence yeah. ones like made me realize, okay, this is something that will be informative, but when you say parameter, that could be very scary. But when okay. you say yeah. like uh, something that is more virus related, like the mm -hmm. name of the parameter will be, could be helpful. Sure, yeah, that's a good idea. Um, so one example of a parameter that I could use is how big, so how many susceptible cells are there in an individual? Mm -hmm. So if an individual is immunocompromised to begin with before HIV that progresses into AIDS, does that change how uh, HIV uh, behaves in that person's body? Or does the length of time in between uh, infection cycles, so how long it takes for HIV to get into a cell, reproduce itself, and then start infecting other cells, does that affect um, the, the uh, latent reservoir in that person. Um, what else can I do? Oh, how quickly these uh, cells die out. So when HIV is kind of like circulating in the body, 
if, if the HIV isn't as virulent, um, then it wouldn't affect cells as quickly. So then that might also have um, an effect on the evading reservoir. Yeah. That makes sense. Well, I guess since you're doing um, kind of simulations, you're not doing anything on real people. Um, mm -hmm. Has have you found that the coronavirus pandemic has kind of affected your research? Like, has there been anything that you've not been able to to do? Um, like, if you're if you're in a lab, and I don't know if you are, have you um, had kind of restricted access to your lab? Yeah. So, luckily for me, I get to do all my research um, like this, like at my computer <laughs> in home, and like as comfortable as I, I'd like to that day. Um, yeah, I guess like the only thing that I miss about uh, going to the lab is basically interacting with the lab mates that I, I had there. Um, I find that it's way easier to have like a two or three minute conversation to ask about a certain part of your project that you don't understand as well, but someone else in the lab might understand better because that's their area of study. Uh, I found that, yeah, like I miss those conversations where you just turn around and ask a question and get a quick answer because these days with Zoom, like, you know, getting a meeting is a whole process of, <laughs> hey, like, are you free here? How about now or how about then? So yeah, I think. On yeah. that aspect, I think I will I will be interested in knowing how was like your learning curve process because I feel like your field or our field is like bioinformatics and sometimes that's something that we're not really used to. And mm -hmm. then we start modeling stuff that we don't really, like sometimes don't understand until we get the results and we're like, oh, now it makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm wondering how was your learning curve and how was it for you to enter in, in a bioinformatic lab? Sure. So luckily for me, uh, I'm a first year master student this year, but last year I was in a honors uh, specialization program that had a thesis project. And I also did it with um, this lab as well. So, yeah, it's like, it's really hard because it's like a completely different skill from like what we're used to doing. Because before, you know, like we'd be looking at um, stuff that actually happens and we can see it happening in front of our own eyes. But with coding, it's like a whole different skill. But um, yeah, I think I'm like pretty, I've been pretty lucky in like uh, being able to work in a lab where there's a really great like collaborative spirit. So working with others to try to like work through your, the problems that you have with your code, it's super easy when you can just ask someone else in the lab because more likely than not, they've already solved the problem or have at least encountered it before and know how to approach it. That's cool. That makes a lot of sense. Um, so, okay. I just, I want to make sure I'm getting this word right. Is it yeah. bioinformatics? Is that what you are both saying? Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Could you maybe elaborate on that a little bit? I mean, I feel like that sounds like a very technical term. Um, so maybe just talk a little bit about what that is and, and what that involves and how it kind of all ties together with your research. Sure. So I guess bioinformatics, like um, it's the analyzing of data that relates to any sort of biology. So, um, so that can encompass like a whole bunch of stuff. It could just be like data analysis for like actual like um, experiments. So like how quickly does a bacteria grow in a certain sample? Um, if you had a whole bunch of data about that type of stuff, like the actual processing and analyzing that data could be considered bioinformatics as well. Uh, in my particular case, bioinformatics, the bioinformatics part of my um, my work would just be anything like digital like analytics as it um, relates to like the simulation programs that I'm doing. I guess it's like a really big catch-all term for like anything with computers and biology and like the interplay between the two. 
Yeah, it's basically uh, when like we cannot analyze enough data just by <laughs> like we're producing so much data, right? So now we need computers and that's true for almost everything. Mm -hmm. So in our case, we're producing a lot of biological data and we just basically use uh, code and algorithms in order to process that data and make sense out of it because it's too much, right? So that's bioinformatics. But as Emmanuel said, there are many, many different fields uh, that you can focus on. For example, just working on the human genome or working in proteomics where you model proteins and see how they change and how, how they arrange. But yes, for us, it's uh, Viral sequences, <laughs> that's basically, yes. Yeah. Catch all technical term for the type of research that you're doing yeah. in your field. Exactly, gotcha. yeah, so gotcha. like, um, like for example, like I would put in an example, so like the COVID stuff right now, mm -hmm. like the work that's being done to track it using the, the genome sequences, so that would fall underneath like the bioinformatics uh, umbrella. Gotcha. Yeah, and it's very interesting because sequences contain a lot of information. So when things evolve, they change. And every time they change, they like we can find a signal on how they are changing over time and which places can be more related to other places in terms of how sequences, how far apart they are from each other in terms of how many mutations do they have. So that's like very informative. And that's why like right now I will say it's like very an interesting topic and a, a hot topic. <laughs> yeah. um, I did have another question for you about, um, I guess, the, the, the data and what you're inputting into sure. the model that you're doing, just to kind okay. of clarify things a little bit, maybe. Mm -hmm. um, so the parameters that you're using, I mean, I know you said that it is really hard to, to do research um, on the latent reservoir. Yeah. Um, so the parameters that you're using, are these kind of known parameters already, or are they um assumptions or hypotheses like like do you actually have the data to do it or are you um you know hypothesizing about that just because you said that it, it mm. is hard to do research in, on the latent reservoir yeah so some of these measurements we do have or some of these parameters we do have measurements for so the average size of the latent reservoir for example we we know where we've estimated that before in humans um the rate at which hiv replicates and infects other cells in the body like We've measured that and we have an estimate for but it's more of those like um hidden variables that we have no clue about so um do hiv uh, transition from like actively uh, producing cells to um the latent reservoir how quickly does that happen well we have no idea because we can't actually observe that um in a human body right so there's a there's yeah, so, so I guess like to answer your question, like, yes, there's like a whole bunch of mix of parameters, some of which we have measured, some of which we have no idea about. And I guess like the good thing about having real world data is I can check if my assumptions made sense. So mm -hmm. yeah, so like being able to validate my model that I'm producing is I think um, going to be very good for, I guess, checking how valid my, my model is and how good I guess it or how well it could be used by other people. Thanks, that, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> so okay. what has been the most challenging part that you find for you while doing these masters? Oh, that's a good question. I guess it's because you, like from an undergrad perspective, moving into a master's, you go from an individual who studies, like even if you do a four-year degree, studies like 
just scratches the surface for each of these subjects. And you go from that to move into an environment where the people who you're working with and the research that you're doing go so far into depth into these like very few number of subjects. And the people who you're working with are like all basically experts in their own little niche in this area. So going, transitioning from like, um, you know, just scratching the surface on a lot of things to like in-depth knowledge of like just a very few topics and realizing how out of depth I, I felt, like how like, um, how I felt like I didn't know as much as the other people around me. And then other people in the lab, like the newcomers to the lab asking me questions as though like I didn't know more than I actually knew. Like, yeah, I guess like trying to like figure out like what I actually did know and like expanding my knowledge was like a hard part of that. And so, I guess like, yeah, sorry. Sorry, has this give you any idea of what you want to do next? Like, will you like to continue working on viruses? Will you like to change complete, like completely change topics or? Um, no, I think I, I do want to like continue with this line of work, like some type of informatics work. I've, I've realized how much more I enjoy uh, working on a computer and programming versus like uh, standing in a lab and having pipettes in my hand and doing stuff like that. Um, but in terms of future study, yeah, I, I don't, I don't know, like the, there's some really cool stuff out there, especially with the COVID, um, uh, genome surveillance and that type of like disease tracking definitely interests me. So hopefully I can uh, contribute to that, uh, the field of research in the future. Awesome. Nice. Well, we are just about out of time. So thank you so much for coming on the show. If anyone wants to learn more about your research, is there a website they can go to or email they can reach you at or any social media that you'd like to share? Uh, sure, yeah. I guess you can reach out to me at my Western email. So that's ewong347 uh, at uw.ca or um, for social media, I guess reach out to me on Facebook or my Instagram, which is eman.wong. So E-M-M-A-N dot Wong. Awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah, no worries. This has been GradCast, the official radio show and podcast of the Society of Graduate Students at Western University. I've been your host, Rosemary, and my co-host, Laura, and we've been speaking with Emmanuel Wong. And this episode was produced by Laura as well. If you'd like to be involved with the show or get in contact with us, email us at gradcastsradio at gmail.com. You can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at gradcastradio. To listen to us, we're on Radio Western 94.9 FM. You can also find all of our episodes on our website at gradcast.ca or on podcast apps like Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify. Alternatively, select podcasts have been uploaded to YouTube at Gradcast Radio. Thanks for listening and have a great night.